Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the H2O Podcast. I am Timothy Harvey. And I'm Jason Hunt. And tonight, we're going to talk about a, a man who's known for his subtlety. That's what everyone says, right? Everyone knows Nick Cage's subtlety is his amazing selling point as an actor. Eh, maybe not, but yeah. he's uh, he's definitely a force of nature and has been in the... in. We have had the opportunity to watch him become really one of the... Starting off when, when both of us were, were young... Um, he was, you know, a rising talent. He was this breakout, you know, one of these, you know, exciting new young actors who is just taking everybody by storm. And we've got to watch his career takes an interesting <laughs> trajectories. Right. And the thing is, is that no matter what, Nicolas Cage is still interesting to watch. Yes. And that's not a bad thing. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought for a brief moment of instead of putting our camera sources up, having stills of Nicolas Cage as our stand-in images, but I thought, nah, there's nothing to do. It's, it's called caging. We'll get to that here in a minute. First of all, what I want to do is I want to I want to do a follow-up here. Dave's saying. Thanks for mentioning John Carter and the and the Gods of Hollywood. Just rewatched the film last night. The book arrived today. It is it is an interesting, fascinating read on that history of John Carter and movie adaptations and all of the different attempts over the over the decades to uh, mm-hmm. to get that thing on screen and as as much angst and trouble and drama as what we as, as what was behind the scenes for what we actually got the fact that we actually got it it basically Stanton's Stanton's movie beat the odds let's say yes yes by quite true. a bit I but yeah but Nicolas Cage is a is an interesting person to watch and it's it's interesting not not from a from a you know tongue planted firmly in cheek thing he is a talented performer and oh, yeah. despite some of the choices that he's made over his career he's proven over and over and over again that he can handle the material and he can and he can bring uh, he can bring a weight to it that you might not otherwise get from somebody else. I mean, you, yes, I, I still can't see him as Superman, but n- neither did anybody else, so we didn't get that. But um, yeah, yeah, but think about it. I mean, there's in some, you know, it, it's a multiverse, right? So yeah, some in in some universe, in in probably the same universe where Eric Stoltz is still the star of, of Back to the Future. Um, you know, Nicolas Cage gave a performance as Superman that for 
some audience mm-hmm. is their definitive Superman. Yeah. Um, because you know it, it's it's still no matter no matter um, you know where um, well, I got dark didn't it yeah uh, there we go um, no matter uh, uh, which version of a character you like it's it's somebody's favorite whether it's yours not or it's not yours you know and so somewhere somewhere some kid grow, grew up watching Nicolas Cage going. You know, running around with a red cape, and that's his. That's their Superman. <laughs> well, and and I think if you if you look at Cage's history with superheroes, I mean, you know, um, Ghost Rider being sure. being the one that everybody remembers, but he's also uh, Spider Man Noir, and the in yes. the Spider in the animated Spider Verse, and y- you have to you have to wonder. Because he's expressed an interest in playing Egghead for Matt Reeves' Batman universe, I want to see Nicolas Cage playing Egghead in that universe because it's just the right amount. I think Nicolas Cage could just the right amount of crazy to that role in that universe. Because Egghead, I mean, Egghead's an in not not a realistic character depending on how you how you handle it yeah you right. you'd have to you'd have to be very very specific on how you bring that character into that universe with Pattinson as Batman and all of that so uh, i i think i think cage could be the one to pull it off if anybody could <laughs> yeah i just i'm not sure that that it's quick on the list of the of the characters they're thinking you know for the sequel you know what we need. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, for all I know, Matt Reeves is going. This is a wonderful idea, and and we're going to make it happen. But I'm I'm going to be a little skeptical. There are so many people who are on board with this, though. I mean, there there are plenty of people out there who goes, yes, I want to see this now. I you know now it's <laughs> it's out there. Let's manifest yeah. this. Let's put it in there. But oh, yeah, no, I think there's I think there's no question that uh, um, it would be like so much of Nicolas Cage's stuff, even if. Even if you, this, you think this is a terrible idea, he would be so much fun to watch. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. That it takes me back to that. Um, uh, there was a there was an interview that he did not too long ago, where he was talking about some of the different choices that he's made for his career, and some of them have been driven by got to pay the bills, got to take care right. of the family, sure. got to you know do whatever. But the flip side of that is he's also made the point that every job that he's taken, whatever that job is, has been an acting workshop for him, is how he approaches every job. This is something where I can I can learn something, I can improve my craft, I can do something new, I can experiment, I can do these things. And... If you really think about it, if anyone were to take that kind of approach to their job or their hobby or what whatever it is that they do during the day, you might get more out of it than than you than you otherwise would because well, yeah. you know it's all in it's all in how you approach the task. Right? Well, I think that that <coughs> 
we talked about character actors a few episodes back. Mm-hmm. And there are are folks who who continually play the same kind of character. And and they made a career out of it, and that's that's absolutely fantastic. And and they're uh, you know it's it's worked out extremely well for them. And then there are actors who have cheerfully played as many different kinds of characters as they can. Um, you know, wildly different. I mean, um, uh, you know, the the Pattinson Batman is you know a, a very striking example. Michael uh, Michael Keaton playing Batman also a very you know these are like you know the these are not the kinds of roles these actors are known for, right. you know, um, but or or weren't known for. Um, and Nicolas Cage, especially when you look at his early career, he's got a lot of different kinds of things he's doing, and he kept he's kept that going on. Now he he sort of leaned into the more extreme kind of, you know, um, big the Bruckheimer stuff. The crazy roles, yeah. Um, but but quite frankly, it's the same thing. Like you know, when playing the bad guy is a, a lot of actors just love to play the bad guy because sometimes the bad guy is the most interesting character. Yeah, yeah. You get and to choose the scenery. The extreme characters, and Nicolas Cage has played a lot of extreme characters, are are the same way, whether they're the villain or not. They're they're often the chance to to really kind of flex your acting muscles to sit there and you know honestly if you spend the entire time running around with your eyes wide and screaming, um, you know that's could often be a lot of fun as an actor. <laughs> um, and I mean, some of my favorite roles in, in in the acting stuff that I've done have been, you know, the more extreme things. The more I mean, I haven't I haven't done anything like. Uh, you know, <laughs> super extreme, but I played bad guys and I've, and I've played characters who are mentally unstable and, yeah. and, um, or, or have a, uh, an obsession. And those, those roles are often a lot of fun to sink your teeth into because you get a chance, uh, like so many actors do to play somebody who isn't you yeah. and to really push that kind of, of, um, those emotional buttons that you don't normally get to push for yourself. Um, and and Nicolas Cage does like to go a little bit into the method school, which concerns me a little sometimes. <laughs> but well, uh, I have I have uh, more frequently of late uh, have have considered assuming more of a villain role in certain things, uh, and I'm <laughs> and I'm resisting I'm resisting that temptation quite a bit. But I did get a wood chipper. So, latent tendencies, I guess, maybe? I don't know. Well, you know, we uh, people start disappearing from the neighborhood. <clears throat> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. the, well, and that's, see, that's the other thing, too, is you look at, you look at Cage's earlier career, you, you know, things like Raising Arizona. Sure. Which is very exaggerated performance and it's it's a comedy but it's also a farce and there's a lot of you know the slapstick and all this and then you turn around and you got leaving las vegas which neither neither of which are are genre but it shows the kind of range that he's got so that when he comes in and does something like a ghostwriter you have 
troubled history, you know, mental, maybe some, maybe some mental stuff, some guilt, and and you know, now he's out for revenge, and we're gonna we're gonna make a play to to pull one over on the devil. I mean, you've got all these different layers that he can bring to Johnny Blaze that maybe some other actor doesn't necessarily do. I mean, listening sure. listening to the Carpenters as his as his your know, release valve, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I think, if I remember right, that was Cage's idea to have oh, the character exactly. listen to the Carpenters as a as a counterpoint, you know, flaming skull head evil you know soul sucking monster right listen to the carpenters you know it's it's that contrast sure. right and yeah the rock the rock is a good one too not not Dwayne Johnson but the rock where well, the rock you know, is does, the rock is one of the one and a half good films Michael Bay has made well and it's an excellent James Bond film it's a great James Bond film <laughs> Michael Bay in my opinion has made one and a half Good movies. Half of the first Bad Boys and The Rock. You know, I I didn't I didn't unlike the the island. See, the problem with the island for me is that it is so blatantly a ripoff of uh what uh is it Cronus? Clone Something that it, it's it's essentially it's an unauthorized remake, mm-hmm. and um, it's so just and and it's predictable. Now it does have it does have um, one of my favorite practical effects, and it's worth watch. It's worth watching. There's the the highway scene where they're yeah. being chased, yeah, and they push off the 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 big axles, right? And if you watch the special features, you see how they did it because it was a practical effect. Yeah. So you have this thing bouncing down the road and it hits a truck and the truck goes bam and flips up over it. Well, they had a metal plate in the road that shot up. And so I was just like, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it, uh, like so much of Michael Bay stuff, as far as I'm concerned, it's gloss, but no substance. And I'm, and that's fine. And there's, there's, I, I, there are plenty of times when I am more than happy to have gloss and no substance. I like, I like pretty dumb things too, but, um, not to mention the fact that Transformers films are just an abomination unto. <laughs> you know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see Nicolas Cage take on the invisible man. So in the Claude Rains range, not not Kevin Bacon yeah. or any of the other other Invisible Man performances that we've had, I think I think Nicolas Cage could do something comparable to what Claude Rains did in the original. Oh, I I don't doubt it. I I very much uh, think that one of the really nice things about about Cage as an actor is that he actually can he he has range where he's he's gotten this you know reputation for playing all these weird crazy people um which sounds you say it like that and it almost sounds like jack nicholson weird great you know um <clears throat> who also has his own reputation for playing those kind of a lot of those kinds of characters right but 
but Cage can actually do very, very subtle work. And I think that one of the things that, especially as you're watching the early parts of Claude Rains' Invisible Man, when it's before the big, you know, unwrapping reveal where he's <laughs> goes goes right into that. Yeah, exactly. The the over the top stuff. Um, there's a lot of subtlety to the performance because it's all voice and movement. You know, you can't see his face. Yeah, you can't read his expression. And and Cage has the talent to do that. We've seen him do it. It's just that you don't necessarily those those aren't the things that necessarily stand out compared to the thing the the more extreme kinds of characters. Um, I mean, yeah. So so leaving Las Vegas um, uh, is honestly, I mean, it's one of my favorite films um, of his. Didn't and, he get a, he got a nominated? Did he get a nomination for that? Either, or did Elizabeth Shue got got? Um, he was he got the Golden Globe for Best Actor, and the Academy Award for Best Actor. Okay, uh, she was nominated for Golden Globe uh, and uh, Academy Award for Best Actors, but she don't she didn't win. Um, but I mean, he's he's so good in that film, and he's and his character is very very rich, and you know, uh, yeah, I've got mixed feelings about the ultimate execution for it. But um, his his performance, especially in the early part, before everything starts to go haywire, in Color Out of Space, um, you know the the Lovecraft adaptation he's yeah. involved with, um, is really strong. Yeah. Uh, you know, as, as there's there's elements of the of the crazy early on, but mm-hmm. um, and Dave, we will know, get to face off here in a second. Yeah. <laughs> Which they keep threatening us with the remake. Yeah, uh, it's like okay, but well, and it's it's why funny, though <laughs> you mentioned when you mentioned Color Out of Space because we've we've made a Lovecraft film we've we adapted the statement of Randolph Carter, and the the goal when you make one of those I think for us anyway was to balance the the actual practical here's what really happened and here's the story now that's being told about what happened and you find that balance between reality and nightmare fuel that did it or did it not was this real or is he crazy losing his mind a little bit and i think when when we heard they were making a color out of space. It was, oh, okay. Hopefully they can handle it. And then they cast Nicolas Cage. And they're like, ah, well, that fits. Because he's one of those, he's one of the few actors that you think could just drop into a story like that and be perfectly comfortable with whatever is going on. Right. The biggest concern for me was not the fact that not his potential performance in it. Um, it was the, how this is going to be done altogether because it's really, really easy to get a Lovecraft adaptation that is not great. Let's say (laughs) wrong. Um, there's the new, uh, I've, I've seen the reviews. There's a, there's the new, what dreams of the witch house. 
um, mm-hmm. film that just came out, yeah. uh, and the reviews have all been very negative. Oh, really? And it's it's been I, I don't think I've seen a good one yet. Um, so I mean, there's just a you know it's and it's a risk. It's a it's a challenge. We know that we having having done it ourselves. It's it's not the easiest thing in the world to pull off. Um, and um, I think you make a Lovecraft film work better if it's period. Because we had we had a, we had we had that conversation when we were planning ours. It was like, well, do we do it modern? Do we do it do it back in the twenties? And it's like it's like adapting War of the Worlds, or if you're adapting any of the any of the period stuff from you know the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, because the technology. Well, John Carter is a good example, because what we know about Mars now. Right. Doesn't jibe with what Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote about Mars then, as far as you know, atmosphere and, and and the planet and whatnot. And if you do it as a period piece, you can get away with a lot more. I think with that, yeah, you know, that that fudge a... factor is there that you don't get if you're going to put it in the modern era. Right. The suspension of disbelief, I think, works really, really much better if you can, you know root this in a world where the science isn't mm-hmm. you can hand wave you can hand wave not so science blatantly wrong bad science if you do it in a period where people didn't know any better um and which you know in in fairness uh to a lot of really great stories you know science has to come along and ruin things for us <laughs> by you know Speaking Go to of, the surface of Venus and die terribly. Well, that's no fun. <laughs> uh, well, uh, what was it? Uh, Space Cadet. <coughs> Space Cadet, Robert A. Heinlein. They go to Venus. And Venus is inhabited. And there's a language. You learn how to speak Venusian. It was like, okay, sure. That, that, I'll, uh, okay. I was just listening to um, a podcast about... Um, a, I want to say he was an English, um, not not a cult leader, but he was one of those, you know, aliens have spoken to me and mm. come join my group kind right, of people. Right. And and one of his things was he was you know communicating with an with an alien from Venus, and I was just like, what year did this take place? Uh, when 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 did, when did this actually happen? Because uh, uh, are you sure? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really kind of interesting when you, when you are playing in these, um, really classic science fiction stories, um, as the, as good as say the Tom Cruise Spielberg war of the worlds looked. Mm, Yeah. And that initial, that initial scene where the Martian machines come out of the ground, that moment is very effective. Um, but it doesn't make a lick of sense. And, um, it's, there's something, there's something more disturbing about it happening in, in Victorian times too, because humanity is so much more the underdog. Right. Uh, because now you sit there and go lob a nuke at it. (laughs) Right. I would you like to be introduced to my cluster bombs? You know, I mean, there's there's at least there's a, and and 
and the thing is is that we see this in something like independence day where even though they are vastly you know the aliens are vastly more powerful humanity humanity puts up a, you're able to win within two hours i mean come on <laughs> well you know, i it, i want to know who uh who designed the uh the interface you know because that's that's oh, gold no, I mean, right oh yeah no kidding i mean honestly if you uh if you can market that you're just yeah. <laughs> well it's funny you mentioned you mentioned crazy technology earlier let's let's talk about face off for a minute because it's on the one hand it's not really a science fiction piece because it's more a crime thriller type of action movie right well but, you know it's john woo i mean come on but the premise of it oh yeah switching switching faces and doing it in a way that it's seamless and it completely changes your morphology and your bone structure and everything else. There is a certain amount of suspension of disbelief there, but the idea of of taking your face off and putting somebody else's on is mm, well, okay, it's yeah, it's 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 a you either buy into your ludicrous premise or you don't yeah and this, it's I mean, a it, conceit it is, to accept that it's a thing oh yeah, yeah. i mean it, it <clears throat> kids at home should you ever wonder this is not a technology that exists <laughs> in any way shape or form and and quite frankly um i think <clears throat> it it would be great for folks who are actually victims of, of horrible accidents, I mean, we've, we've come a really, really fantastic way with facial reconstruction for folks who, who have been horribly disfigured, but it's still a long way away from, from perfect. And if this technology existed, it would be so amazing and life and, and, and just great for, for far too many people. But what's a great about this film, once you get past that, push that over here um is the fact that both of these actors and it's john travolta is another one it's easy to forget that he really does have a lot of talent he's had his own period really in the last what decade or so where he's basically been like i will take whatever film they give me and yeah you know which which you know hey you gotta you gotta you gotta eat but the way these two actors lean into playing each other right and that sells it yeah it it makes the film so much fun well and there's a moment just like you know there's a moment uh when nicholas cage okay so cage is playing travolta's character at this point he's in prison and this is the cop, and he's trying to get information so he can get out of the prison and go find find the bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. And he's he's fairly reserved until the point where he decides, okay, it's time to get nuts, and it's that it's that it's almost like that that switch gets flipped, and mm-hmm. Cage Cage is one of those people who can sell that, who can actually yeah. flip that switch, and you can buy it. That he's actually doing this character is actually doing this thing, and it works within the context of the scene. And and there are there are some actors that can't do that. 
that yes very true um and i i think that that's that's a strength and a weakness for cage because he does that so well it's become this sort of um you know well that's what nicholas cage does i mean he's he's kind of built that that sort of built the reputation yeah because he's very good at it which is kind of where that movie you know the unbearable light uh, the unbearable what is it the unbearable weight of weight of massive talent. massive talent so he's playing himself ish but it's that it's that nicholas cage that has that reputation is is the nicholas cage that he's playing the nick cage he's playing it's kind of like will wheaton playing will wheaton on on big bang theory only not as not as good yeah, well, and, it, and, you know, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah. doing JVD. Um, which, that was an excellent movie. Yeah, I think, I think what's interesting is that both of these guys who have built up these reputations for these are the kinds of movies they do. This is mm-hmm. the kind of, this is, this is who they are as an actor. Have both had the opportunity to lean into that and to make fun and play with that idea and do it in really entertaining a really entertaining way and for if you're a genre fan i mean it's it's worth if if it had not even occurred to you to watch it the idea you know if nothing else it's an alternate universe version of nick cage i mean come on guys (laughs) well it's just like it's just like watching william shatner play denny crane you know, and we talked yeah. about this last week. Denny Crane is the reputation of William Shatner. In, you know, mm-hmm. that, he's, that character is the embodiment of William Shatner's reputation of being this over-the-top, egotistical, you know, exaggerated actor who takes right. himself much more seriously than anybody else does. And it's, it, it is interesting... When you have performers who get to a certain point in their career where they can do that kind of thing and not worry about their career, you know, because up right. to a certain point, you do something like that. Your career goes off the go, goes off the skids to, to, you know, this side quest over here and you never recover. Right. Yeah. And it's not an age thing. It's, you know, you, you do a certain amount of work up until the point where you can sit there and say, okay, now it's time to play. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, or you get somebody like Michael Caine, who is always going to be working because. And he was about where I was about it, to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's the thing is, is that there's a perception. I think that is a little unfair to Nicholas Cage is that, you know, and Michael Caine has been doing, has done his own fair share of less than great movies. Yeah. And and quite frankly, he's always been, you know, upfront about the reasons why, you yeah. know, A, he grew up poor. Um, and he's always got this he's got this built in fear that suddenly the money is gonna go away. I saw and, a, I saw a meme that takes an interview that, that he did about the Jaws movie he was in. Right, mm-hmm. and he says that somebody came up to him and says, "Hey, I saw that Jaws movie you were in. It stinks." He says, "Yes, it does. I've never seen it, but the house it bought my mother is very lovely." And like, right. that's that's how you do it. That's that's what exactly. You but I think that Michael Caine doesn't have the colorful personal life 
that Nicolas Cage has often had. And I think that really yeah. kind of factors into it. I mean, you, how, how you have a lot of How much do you think actors. that is because he's related to Francis Ford Coppola? Well, there's a starting point. And I think that the, there's, you know, a, to his credit early on, one of the things he wanted to make sure wasn't hap- was, was not happening was this sort of, you know, you're a relative of a famous person, mm-hmm. right? So he was concerned about the nepotism aspect. And, and quite frankly, you know, there's... There's been um, more than one person in in every industry, whether it's you know not just by any stretch of the imagination, the film industry, where family connections got you in the door. You might deserve to be getting in through the door, but you you know you leapfrogged over somebody who didn't have those family connections. It's the way of the world. We know this happens all the time. Yeah. But so to his credit, he didn't want that to happen, and. Um, but he's also had the financial issues that he's had. Like a lot of people who got wealthy very fast. What if there if there's any great lesson to take away from from any of these kinds of situations is that people are not good at handling money. As a rule. <laughs> Individual people are. Um but uh, people, people as a group, statistically, are bad at it. Yeah. And quite frankly, um, he's had his moments of buying the thing he did not need and having it come back to bite him uh, pretty hard financially. So, um, and that drove, like, like you said early on, you know, a lot of it's driven by the fact that he's got bills to pay. And so he takes the job. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Yeah. I mean, that's why we all take jobs, right? Uh, mostly. <laughs> I mean, it would be it would be lovely if we could take jobs just for the love of the work, but um, yeah, generally, you know, a lot of the things that I just I like to do um, don't necessarily pay all that great all the time. I mean, you are you. You do a lot of of the actual going out and doing the working film shoot things, um, and uh, but that's a tough thing to make a living at. Yeah, yeah, it is, and and it's and it's one of those things where uh, you know, being being a freelancer, you know, as hit and miss as it is, I mean, mm-hmm. it pays pretty well. The stuff that you know, it's it's nice work when you can get it, right. But like we were talking about before the show started, my next my next one is tomorrow uh, is is Tuesday night. We're loading out. So basically we're packing everything up for Motley Crue, Joan Jett, Def Leppard and stuff out of the baseball stadium. And we don't start until 1030 tomorrow night. And who knows how long it's going to take. I mean, it's going to be probably four or five hours so you know it's i won't get home until 3 34 o'clock a.m right and then wednesday i've got a i've got a show at noon so i'm like oh that's gonna hurt so right yeah i mean it's i i just spent a weekend uh working running the film programs for the casey fringe and even though i only really had about three no about four hours each day of of the actual festival there was all the running around and all the prep work and the stuff you had to do before things start and that sort of thing 
in in a in a building that was not the coolest of places um and that's you know it just becomes it just becomes tiring so it's a rough thing to do um on a regular basis as much fun as it is i mean you and some we we both know folks who who do that stuff all the time and and it's been it's it, they're also out there doing the freelance thing and yeah working much much harder um and uh you know but but yeah it's it can be a challenge <laughs> no question um but yeah i mean you know the, the, and again nicholas cage is doing what he loves he gets to go out and do this stuff i mean he's not he's actually not hurting for work no <clears throat> i mean you've got well and there's there's still a rumor and there's the 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 fan casting the people that would like to see him come back as Johnny Blaze in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know that it's going to happen. Uh, you know, I'll be but, honest. Uh, that is one of the one of the areas where I honestly think he was miscast. Um, I, I I appreciate the the enthusiasm he has for the role, and I appreciate the fact that, like you know, so many, you know, he's he's got the opportunity to to play a, a part that you know he loves. But certainly at the time, the de-aging technology didn't exist to make Nicolas Cage believable as any age he's playing in that movie. I mean, okay, you're not going to cast me as a college kid, all right? You're just not. And um, Johnny Blaze works best as a guy in his 20s. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or at, the very, at the very latest, early 30s. Yeah. <clears throat> and certainly, certainly I, I, the first Ghost Rider is fun. I thought it was fun. It's not particularly great. Well, but it's also... But when you have when you have Ghost Rider on a motorcycle next to Ghost Rider on a horse, you know Sam Elliott's Ghost Rider, and they're going they're going off into the desert. That's a cool shot. I mean, for and, everything but they else, waste, but they cool waste shot. Sam Elliott's character in that I movie. Know, he is I so know, wasted. You've got you've got a flaming horse being. I mean, <laughs> Give me that movie. Give give me historical Ghost Rider and, and Sam Elliott or, or bring Nicolas Cage in to play that part. I mean, you know, that's that works better than than for me than than Nicolas Cage's as as no. Ghost Rider. But it's it's entertaining. And it's also of, of a of a kind. I mean, you look at a lot of superhero movies during that time period. Um we the success and overall level of quality for the Marvel Cinematic Universe is not what you and I grew up with. Mm. No, it's not. Um, and and there were certain. Well, there certainly have been standouts. You know, the, you know, um, Chris Reeve's Superman, uh, Michael Keaton's Batman. Um, there were a whole lot of other films that DC and Marvel attempted to you know put out into the world that don't hold up in the same way 
um, how many different versions of the Punisher have we had? Um, yeah. And if you've you know if you've ever seen the Dolph Lundgren version, it's an entertaining Dolph Lundgren movie. It's a terrible Punisher movie. Well, and we've got uh, there's a, there's an early st- uh, there's an early Doctor Strange. Um, there was uh, Captain America and Spider Man both on television. Yeah, you know, and for what it was at the time, it was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And and I remember, I remember watching the first Red Brown Captain America, mm-hmm. and. When they changed his origin to be the son of the World War II hero, I thought, hang on, that's not right. But in the context of the story, it made a certain amount of sense because you didn't have to do, you know, in retrospect, I look at it and you, if they, if they found him in the ice, then you'd have to spend half an hour getting him to the ice and, and doing all this period piece stuff and then getting and getting him back out. Kind of like what we did, you know, in first Avenger with Marvel. Right. And, but at so that point we'd sense. already introduced to the character. So you were able to go back. Yeah. You'd already, you'd already done some of the heavy lifting that you didn't have to do in that film. And because Marvel was to some degree introducing those characters to the wider world, the folks who weren't comic book readers um, or cartoon watchers, because Captain America had been in cartoons before too. Yeah. Um, you throwing his you know, mighty shield. That's right. <laughs> but you also have you all you know. The, there's the what what phase one of what what Marvel got lucky with with the from the very beginning was great casting. Yeah, and I, I honestly I think Marvel has done overall up up to now uh, a pretty good job with that. Um, and the difference is is that it was all of those people all at once. Now it's more spread out because of the various films and things like that. But I mean, it was that that you know. And here's everybody you're going to love you're you that everybody has fallen in love with in like two movies right yeah so um you know the fact that it worked um actually in retrospect was a bit of a risk it was actually it was considered a risk at the time too it's easy to forget that there are plenty of people who are going really <laughs> this is this is what we're going go, we're going with um but yeah i mean it's it's um, Nicholas Cage, uh, you know, I think there's roles he could play uh, that are are not necessarily, you know. What about Mephisto? Because we haven't seen Mephisto yet in the in the Marvel <sighs> Cinematic Universe. What, I... Honestly, I think he could do a really good job at it. Yeah. Um, in you know, I think that there's. Um, Mephisto's an interesting character, <clears throat> it, and folks, if you're not familiar with the character, he's the Marvel version, essentially, of the devil. There's a lot of devils in the Marvel universe. He's kind of one of the big ones, right? Yeah. And he's a he's a Doctor Strange. And I mean, a lot of people thought we were going to get Mephisto in in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, there was consideration that he was going to show up in WandaVision. 
Well, um, and he's a character who's kind of thinking he was going to be in Loki. Yeah, we're kind of expecting him. Yeah, you know, and and if Marvel doesn't give us <laughs> Mephisto eventually, it's going to feel like a little bit of a letdown, considering how I, they've got they, these opportunities to to bring him in are just right yeah, there. But I have to wonder because Feige has said that. As we go further into phase four, you'll kind of get an idea of of what the direction is that they're going. But I'm thinking to myself, how far into phase four are we before we actually start to see what they've got going? Because in phase phase one, two and three, we knew what was coming when we got that first shot of Thanos early and yeah, but, all of this stuff was like, that, oh, this is going to be, this is going to, we knew what we were building toward. And Phase yeah. 4 feels kind of like it's just all over the place. It's haphazard, it's random, and... Well, I see, and I don't uh, necessarily, that, uh, I'll be honest, it, I'm not necessarily bothered by it being random right now. This may change. But right now it doesn't bother me as much because, and, and, and I'll tell you why. Because the Marvel Cinematic Universe has the same problem that the DC and Marvel comic books have, which is everything <laughs> has to build to a crisis. Oh, well. Yeah. Everything has to build to an event. And there's a problem with that. And you know what that problem is? It's that it's got to be bigger than the last one. Right. And it's one and of those this, things where, you know, again, we go into this Hollywood learns the wrong lessons. The, the, the comic book industry, the same, same way. And we've talked about this before with Dark Knight Returns and Killing Joke and Watchmen and, and right. a- anything really by Alan, Alan Moore. Dark and gritty cells. And suddenly everything was dark and gritty past, you know, the, the late 80s, early 90s. And we still haven't recovered from that. But, you know, it's like if they just sat down and actually asked Alan Moore what he was actually trying to say, and he'd sit there and go, well, I'm trying to give you an allegory about dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And they would have sat there and went, oh, okay. He's like, I was using the but dark. They did. I was using the bad things to make you guys aren't, you guys didn't read the book. And he's, <laughs> and he's done plenty of interviews where he's done exactly that and said, oh, yeah. hey, this is what, this is what it was supposed to be. Y'all didn't do it right. You know, it was like. Oh, I regret ever, ever writing it. Oh, Uh, well, and the thing is, is that, I mean, this is the guy who basically got chased out of comics because, uh, you know, he was, he was treated very poorly by the studios. There's no, by, by, by DC. And there's just, it's, this is one where Marvel doesn't get to take any blame over this one. Marvel didn't do this. This was DC. Um, Previous administrations at DC, but that's not the point there. It's, it's ongoing. So they haven't stopped. Right. Um, But, you know, um, yeah. you know, I mean, who he, else? he's moved into movies and, yeah. you know, you know, we'll, we'll let him, you know, another character that I could see Nicolas Cage playing in the comic book world is Digby from Fables. The the big bad wolf see, detective. So I, I would say he's a little bit old. Now I say that, but if you cast him with the right Snow White. Yeah. Then, um, it is Snow White, right? Yes. Which one is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's Snow White. Um, Fables is back, and I haven't had a chance to read any of the new, the new stuff. I haven't. Um, 
But who would you but, cast uh, as Snow White? If you're going opposite, huh? you know who you could. Well, no, you couldn't. Um, who who would you? Jennifer Connelly. Yes. Okay. I I, because, I am totally on board with that. Because because she can play um, hard as nails. You don't yeah. see her do it very often, but she's definitely done it. Um, and um, and she looks like what Snow White could grow into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that um, if, 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 you know, for the folks at home, if you've not read Fables, um, it's available in a multitude of graphic novel collections. Uh, I, I recommend it. Um, um, I've actually I recommend a lot of Bill Willingham. Um, there's if you can go if you can find his early elementals run. Now, we um, should we should say too, com- Fables is Comico? not Carol Comico. Comico, I think, was was the publisher of that. But Um, Fables is not for kids. (laughs) No, Fables is not for kids. And it, uh, if you ever, what, Once Upon a Time? Is it Once? Yeah, Once Upon a Time on ABC. 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 Um, When that came out, there were a lot of Fables fans who sat there and went. Yeah. Well, there's there's actually quite a bit to that because... Willingham had meetings with ABC to mm-hmm. adapt Fables mm-hmm. and then didn't. And mm-hmm. then ABC did Once Upon a Time and everybody went, hang on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, in fairness, um, Fables should be on hbo or netflix or amazon prime it's dark storytelling folks showtime and and it's got places where if you want to give it a faithful adaptation or or at least play with some of the same themes putting it on network television um is probably not the best thing to do you're gonna you're gonna lose some of the the more interesting storylines i mean when one of your main characters is the entity that pretty much all witches are, um, you know, the ones who eat children. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's the one that it, that basically is the the er example, um, and she's one of the good guys. No. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes. There's a certain number of babies she has to has to eat, but she's on our side. <laughs> well, the. The the places that that story goes, and I haven't read all the way through. I think I've got the first, I've got the first collected edition. I've, I need to go and find the rest of them. But the the battle between different forces and the results of, you know, who aligns with whom and who ends up dead, and how. Right. Uh, yeah, this this would not play on network television, and that could very well be why ABC didn't do it, and they went ahead and they went with their own thing and and didn't do fables because it can get dark and bloody, and Snow White can be ruthless. Oh yeah, well, and and, and as an example of a char- another character that he could play in there, he could also play Geppetto. Because the Geppetto in Fables is not the fuzzy, the the fun Disney version that we all, you know. Yeah. Um, it's 
and I think that that's um, the different the different ranges of that character Cage could easily do because that character does move from pleasant and reasonable and oh so nice and grandfatherly and then he's not right and he's something else <laughs> um you can you could very much I, I could very easily see him in that part because he's of the age where you could believe him as that sort of grandfatherly figure if you did it right yeah but he but yeah i think i'm i'd be i'd be really fascinated to see uh someone do fan art of him as Digby because I think it could work. So here's what we need to do. We need to convince Bill Willingham to make fables a dollar baby like Stephen (laughs) King does. And then we could go and do a sci-fi for me original movie and adapt fables. I I am on board (laughs) with this idea, but I'm pretty sure that Bill's going to go, okay. Yeah, probably not. It's not going to be a dollar, kids. I'm sorry. No, I know. I know. (laughs) You know, I mean, um, but, you know, still, I think that, yeah, there's there's potential there. I think um, Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage is one of those actors who it's really easy because of the sort of exaggerated uh, reputation. And, you know, he's leaned into it um, in many ways, but he still does interesting, interesting work. I mean, there's yeah. just no question that the guy gets out there and gives it, you know, um, everything he's got. I mean, the last few years, um, if the closest thing that anyone's ever got to a Five Nights at Freddy's movie mm-hmm. is Willie's Wonderland. Yeah. And Willie's Wonderland is fun. If you like, if you like that sort of thing. Um, Willie's Wonderland is Nicolas Cage, and clearly Nicolas Cage is having a good time. Doesn't he have like no dialogue in that? Isn't he completely? There, yeah, he's, 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 he's mute. He's, he's one of those silent, silent and deadly killers. Um, <laughs> it's great, <laughs> but he's also you know this is a guy who did um, Pig, yeah, uh, yeah, which is a surprisingly deep movie. If you're if you if you seen the tra- the trailers if you, you know, if just read the synopsis it doesn't give you the emotional sense that the film actually has which is really i was surprised by yeah i mean because i went in with a certain set of expectations and the film surpassed them and so i mean it may not be to your tastes that's fine but there's also just you know um there's something there that I was really surprised by how emotional that film actually plays out. And, you know, it's the the irony is when you look back at everything that Nicolas Cage has done and you you watch some interviews that he's done lately with regard to um, the the press junkets that he's done, the interviews that he's done. To see him kind of try to sort of wrap his head around ask me anything's and you know there there's the there's the interview that he did at South by Southwest where he first learned about caging which has been a thing forever and he's like 
they do what now? <laughs> they they put my face every... And that's one of the reasons why I wanted McKenna to be on here, because McKenna's a really big Nicolas Cage fan. Mm-hmm. And at one of her jobs, she post, she put photographs of Nicolas Cage's face everywhere at work. And people were finding them two years after she left. Right. They were still, you know, little hidden. I mean, she hide hide them everywhere. And you you open up the door and there's Nicolas Cage staring at you. Or, you know, you... It, and him <laughs> just finding out about it, there's something charming almost... Right. About him being such such a such an innocent when it comes to uh, the social media stuff, he's like, I don't do any of this stuff. I, I this is beyond me. I I don't I don't touch social social media. I'm not doing this. And for him to do the ask me anything and some of the some of the answers to the questions were I thought were a little, uh, you know, it very Nicolas Cage. You know, it's it's that yeah okay I'm I'm gonna there there's a certain amount of snark in some of the answers because it's right. such a surreal thing for him, mm-hmm. and I think if all of us approached social media as if it's a little bit of a surreal thing, I think we'd all be a lot better off. Well, it is a periodic reminder that the internet. Well, an interesting place to find many, many things <laughs> um, is a virtual world. It's not the real world. Right. And uh, I think there's no question that for people may have had their doubts from time to time. But, you know, Nicolas Cage living in the real world as opposed to hanging out on social media. Um, One could learn a lesson from that. One one could yes yeah i'm looking for i'm looking forward to seeing the 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 stuff he does i i I always find him interesting to watch there's no question i think that there's there's been quite a few films that i have not particularly been a big fan of um early on um because i mean we'd seen him in peggy sue got married we saw him in 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 raising arizona Mm -hmm. and these are films that really just you know uh excite a lot of people he did uh, uh moonstruck and his fan base just kind of really exploded yeah it was already building and growing but i think moonstruck really just pushed things and then he did vampire's kiss and i think vampire's kiss is an interesting movie that i don't like okay. i mean i i just it didn't i was just like eh, all right but it's in it's an interesting film but i it's it's not one that i particularly care for um, and they did Wild at Heart, and it's like, okay, you know, and you, they, yeah, you can't always get, you can't, you know, and, and not every film that you're an actor you like is going to be in is going to be good, right? Right. I mean, Michael Caine made On Deadly Ground, <laughs> which I think is nominally might be worse than Jaws Three. That says a lot. Steven Seagal made one and a half good movies. <laughs> both both of them were Under Siege. <laughs> Under Siege is pretty good. I, I got to say. Under Siege is very fun. 
And then Under Siege 2, about half of the movie is is good. Yeah. It's the bad guy. Yeah, the Under Siege... The villain in Under Siege 2 is, is... Under Siege works really well because Tommy Lee Jones is in it as as the villain, as the bad guy. Right. And, and I gotta say, Eric, when, Eric... when Erica Eleniak was in that, I thought her career was going to take off from there. And it didn't quite go where I thought it would go. Oddly she, enough. She, I think, seemed to be one of those actresses who had a lot of potential. There's, there's a show that we need to come to is those actors that we thought, those genre actors we thought were going to be something. Mm-hmm. You know, and then for whatever reasons, and, and sometimes it's not a big, you know, sometimes it's not a giant tragedy or anything. It's just life didn't work out that way. Um, you know, but those actors who we thought might be might be getting ready to, you know, be the breakout star or have that that big thing because of the genre role they played. Yeah. Um, and you know, some of that's going to end up being typecasting, which of course we've seen. But some cases it was. And the flip side of that is some actors who you know, like like Walter Koenig, for example, whose career was essentially revived by Babylon Five. Right. Yeah. And you know, by playing of character very different from Chekhov. Yes, very much so. So, and yet an incredibly engaging character. Yeah. Well, and I think he had a lot more fun playing the playing the villain, the the bad guy type, because there was a lot more nuance to to Bester that you didn't. Oh get yeah, from I mean, as Chekhov. beloved as Chekhov is. He's not the most developed character on screen. Yeah. Dave is suggesting one hit wonders, the actor and actress edition. That's yeah. That's a, I mean, that's, that's and I think that there's, there's plenty of them out there and actors and, and actors who disappeared that you think have disappeared. Um, I was looking, I had reason to look at the Andromeda TV tropes page, the, the Dylan Hunt. Right. Right. Um, and I was like, you know what? I haven't seen some of these actors in a while. What happened to them? And turns out they've all been working. Yeah. I just haven't seen it. <laughs> For me, it was Mary Stuart Masterson. Mm. Now she went in. If you if you count chances are as a genre, because it's kind of a fantasy because because it's a reincarnation fantasy, right? Mm. And when I saw that movie, I thought, she's going places. She's going to have a blockbuster career. It's just, She's just going to blow up. And she did some kind of wonderful, and she did chances are, and that, you know, a couple of things right there, Benny and June. And then it was almost like she just disappeared. But she's been doing... Uh, a lot of television over the years. I mean, she was in a Law and Order for a number of years and, and did all of the stuff. And I was like, where, where have I missed all of this? Well, and I think yeah. that again, you and I come from that period, grew, grew up in that, come from that period. Like we just arrived. <laughs> my time <laughs> travel right there in the back. I just flew in from the eighties, and my yes. arms are dead. Yeah, <laughs> um, but we grew up with that that distinction between film and television, where it was like the line, yeah. and if you. If you ended up going from film to television, 
going back to film was like rare. Yeah. And yes, it was unusual. She, she was she was also in Fried Green Tomatoes. But the mm-hmm. but I think the other part of that is for a particular period of time and and I'm still guilty of this. There are certain television shows, films that are not genre that I don't mm-hmm. pay as much attention to. I mean, I never oh, got sure. into Law and Order, so I'm not watching Law and Order. So when I find out she's been on Law and Order for three years or however long it was, you know, at the time, I'm like, oh, right. that's yeah. where she's been. And, well, and you know, or not, you end up like me, who was somebody who, when Law and Order was new, oh God, when when Law and Order was new, <laughs> right? Uh, back in the day. We watched it all the time. I mean, it was, you know, it was on network television. It was on when I was in college. Um, you know, it, well, it was, on, it was on forever, right? But, I mean, so the chance to, you know, catch that. And for a while there, although uh, Law & Order is also a great example of why so many people think they know what the law is. Yeah. And are really, really wrong. Um, folks, do not get your legal advice from television. Uh, dramas. <laughs> it's just not a good idea. Um, they're, they've only got so long to tell a story, they're going to gloss over the details. Yeah. Right? They just don't do it. Um, but it's still you know, Sam Waterston. Sam Waterston was just, you know, um, Michael Moriarty that first season, but he went a little off the deep end. Um, although, that's another one. It's like, okay, so guy who became famous for Law and Order but do you know the monster horror movie he was in before that? No, because I'm cue I'm the not... winged serpent. <laughs> I just so. you know it's just it's it's one of those things where it's like well you you lose track of these people, and yep. then you find out oh well they've been they've been working this whole time. I mean I'm I'm looking at. I'm looking at her. Uh, I'm looking at her IMDb page. Yeah, the Radioland Murders. There, there, mm-hmm. there's another connection there. George Lucas producing that one, and and she was good in that one. That was that was a fun movie. I thought I liked. It. I liked that movie. Uh, it it did not particularly resonate with people, unfortunately, and I I I liked it. You know, maybe that's another topic. The the George Lucas stuff that was not Star Wars. Why it didn't take off. And I well, think and I, it's I think because that can tie into there's a there's a the Radioland murders is there was a certain period of time the Hudsucker proxy was in that sort of same window. Mm-hmm. Yep. People yep. kind of were playing with this sort of vintage nineteen fifty late forties, fifties, early sixties kind of of innocence and nostalgia Mm. and it didn't quite resonate and i wonder if it's if that stuff came out now if ready land murder showed up on netflix as a new thing to an audience now i think it would probably have worked better maybe and the same thing for like a hudsucker proxy and things like that because i think there's there's the audience for that sort of thing has sort of been identified now and you can target it more as opposed to putting something out in the theaters and um i think lucas lucas has some of that 
nostalgia for the 50s mm-hmm. thing that happens there too <laughs> that I think I'm, can I'm looking at the trivia for this. I didn't know this. George Lucas has said that the two main characters, Roger and Penny, um, played by my by Michael Benben and Mary Stuart Masterson, are the parents sure. of Richard Dreyfuss's character from American Graffiti. So Radioland Murders, in George Lucas's mind, is a prequel to American Graffiti. It's a shared Ish. universe. <laughs> uh, so let's see. The comic book tied in Indiana Jones and Star Wars, where Indiana Jones found, found the crashed Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's um, not canon. It, and so <laughs> it all has to, you know, we can we can make it all work. You know, Stephen King did it, Asimov did it. Why not, Lucas? Why not? <laughs> okay, folks, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much for being here. We mentioned the cesspool that is the social media. We're on a number of different platforms where you can connect with us. There's the all the different video platforms where you can find us. Uh, and of course, if you want to support us financially, drop us a drop us a tip. There's PayPal. There's Subscribestar. Um, I have come to the conclusion that I'm not going to encourage super chat so much in the YouTube because uh, YouTube takes 55% of that money. So I, I'd I'd rather if you if you were to give us any, I'd rather keep all of it. So. <laughs> Uh, so I guess I guess PayPal would be the the easiest way to do it. But you know, no nobody is under any obligation. We're certainly not expecting anyone to do that. But we do appreciate you just even just being here, uh, yeah. showing up yeah, every every week that. and and coming back. So uh, I do want to encourage you to share the links to the videos. Um, we're getting some good traffic on. Our interview today, I don't know if you saw it or not, live from the bunker this morning, we did. Uh, we had an interview with Mewish Hayat, who plays Aisha on uh, Ms. Marvel over on Disney+. Plus. Mm. Cameron Pasha came on and was my guest co-host, and we talked to her about, uh, about her work on Ms. Marvel. It was a very, very good conversation, and uh, it looks like it's getting a little bit of traction, so go check that out. And uh, we've got our money edition tomorrow, and... And uh, over the weekend, we had a new Foreign Bodies. So Hong Kong Part 2 is out there live and active now. So go check that out as well. And we will be back to do all of this again next week. And maybe we'll have an idea. We'll ha- maybe we'll have a plan. We'll plan ahead. We'll, we'll come maybe. up with a topic and we'll let you know. So connect with us on socials. That's where we'll put the announcements. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Have a good night. Good night, guys. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 